Take your Bibles and turn to Mark 2, if you would. On May 27, 1995, you might remember Christopher Reeve, the actor at the time, was known for his role in the movie Superman. On that day, he was thrown from a horse during an equestrian competition in Virginia. He fell off that horse that day and he broke his neck. The injury paralyzed him from the shoulders down. He was in a wheelchair and had a ventilator for the rest of his life. And he was only 42 when the accident took place. That day, that accident, becoming a paralytic, changed everything in his life. He was certainly no longer Superman. And what had happened that day was really he experienced firsthand in a real way a kryptonite that he never thought he would face, and that was paralysis. In just a moment, he went from Superman to paralyzed man. October 2004, 10 years later, he died. He died in his paralysis. On AD 30... In Palestine, in a little town called Capernaum, Jesus met a very similar man, also a paralytic. We don't know how long he was a paralytic and how long he couldn't walk. We don't know his background story. In fact, the scriptures don't even give us his name. He's pretty much anonymous. But what we know is that he was paralyzed. Jesus at that time, as you saw in the video, was very popular. He had already healed a leper. The noise had gone around about him. He was extremely uh, popular. Uh, he had begun to do miracles. In fact, chapter 2 and verse 2 says, there's no room even at the door. There's a slide on the screen. You can see what the house might have looked like back in those days. Um, it was called an insula. An insula had an opening. You could see the very place where you come in. And then they had porches or patios on the outside and Jesus would have had the inner patios you could see them two of them standing there they would have been filled to the left of it you could see where the roof would be there and they would have had Jesus teaching in that room they were standing in both patios they were outside the door standing around the house on the outside he was so filled now Capernaum was a city of on a main travel route and I made trade route, so there could have been up to a thousand people there that day, even more that was on the screen, because almost everyone in the village would have been there on that day, and they, could have, they couldn't get any more packed in that place. Um, it says that uh, he came there, and he was a paralytic. In fact, in verse 3, twice in verse 4, verse 5, 9, and 10, it says six different times he was paralytic. The idea that the scripture wants you to get to understand is the guy could not walk. Now, more than just the fact that he couldn't physically walk, if you are a paralytic, everybody thought that it was because of your sin. Everybody thought the theory was back then if you had a major disease, if you were crippled, you had a disability, anything major chronic that had gone wrong in your life, it was because of your sin, right? So he's got a stigma. Nobody wants to be around him. In fact, it's very unusual that he had four friends that would put him on his pallet and actually carry him to see Jesus. That would have been really unusual at, at a high level. Um, and they loved him so much and had faith in Jesus that they brought him, and even though the crowd was so great, they couldn't even get in to see Jesus. 
So they decided, as all those houses back then had, they had flat roofs and they had stairways that went along the outside of the house. Now they would climb the stairs that went up to the roof, they would get to the roof, and they would dig a hole. Now the, the Bible says in verse 2 that they had to make an opening. It was a roof that had uh, beams of wood. On top of it would be a tree branch lattice structure system. And all of that would be pushed down by a mixture of hardened clay and stone. So that was somewhat fairly heavy and also pretty dense. It was usually about 8 to 10 inches thick. So it wasn't just a small little skim coating. I mean, when it says they had to make an opening, they really had to make an opening. Now Jesus is in this house preaching to people who are all pushed in as, fat, you know, as close as they can so that they can hear what he's saying. He's preaching, it says, and they're digging. And as they're digging, you can imagine all the clay, the stone, the hay, all straw, as, as you saw, it becomes coming down and basically it stops everything that Jesus is doing. I'm guessing that this was Peter's mother-in-law's house. They probably would have better had got home uh, home uh, insurance, maybe a little bit more higher, increased that, you know, after that day. But they didn't, but it, everyone, when that guy is being let down on his pallet in front of Jesus, knows exactly why he's there, don't they? I mean, it's pretty obvious. He's there because he wants to walk. He's there because he needs to be healed. Everybody gets it, except Jesus. You see, instead of walking over to the guy and saying, rise up, take up your bed and walk, he doesn't say that. Did you notice? He does, now, he does say it later in verse 11, but he doesn't say that first. Instead, what he does is he looks at him and says, my, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I'm thinking a guy that went through all of that was so desperate to have his friends carry him there, make a hole in somebody else's roof, which had been socially unacceptable, risk all of that, and then be lowered in front of everybody, in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if that guy was from New Jersey, he would have said, now Jesus, hey, I know that you're great and you're a great rabbi. Everybody knows why I'm here, though, and you don't seem to get it. I'm here to walk again. Jesus, my biggest problem is I'm paralyzed. And Jesus would say, it's not your biggest problem. See, all of us, at times in our lives, we think that we know what our biggest problem is. And Jesus is here to tell you this morning that you don't. See, you don't really know it. You don't know what your biggest problem could be. Jesus is saying this, I know you have other serious issues, and you may this morning. You may have really financial problems. You may have some serious chronic health issues relationship issues, issues with your children and their rebellion, issue with all kinds of... See, people don't even know some of the issues that you're facing this morning. And here's what Jesus isn't saying. He isn't saying that you don't have other issues. He isn't even saying that I understand that you've suffered and you've suffered for a while. He goes, but this is what he's saying. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. But here's what Jesus is saying. I know that this paralysis has affected you physically, emotionally, socially, but that's not your biggest problem. It's not the biggest problem that anyone faces. No matter what your problem is this morning physically or outside of you, 
Your spiritual problem is your biggest one. See, your biggest problem is never your situation. It's not even your suffering. Your biggest problem is always your sin. And that's what the story is about. The story is about saying to you this this morning, only Jesus, only Jesus can solve your biggest problem. Now you might say, that offends me, Pastor Walker. I, I, you don't know my problems. You understand, I have some serious problems. I know, let, let, me ask, let me tell you this morning, don't let it offend you, here's why. Not everyone in this world, in fact, very few, would be paralytics physically. But every single one of us in this room this morning, we are all spiritually paralyzed. Every single one of us. See, you may be able to be here and you walked in this morning and I saw a few of you with gay, I saw some of you walked in with a cane, but you still walked in. But some of you this morning, you couldn't walk in spiritually, although nobody could see it because your sin has paralyzed you in your relationship with God. See, this morning, if you're coming to Jesus and you do, and people come to church to, and they come to find Jesus, and you know why? If you're only coming to get your external problem dealt with, if you're only coming because you have physical paralysis, you're not going deep enough. See, you are underestimating the depth of your biggest problem. But it's common, it's common, and maybe a number of you are here this morning, and you come to Jesus, and you think that your greatest need is for Jesus to heal something on the outside of you. And so you play what I call the if-only game. If only I could walk, he might have said in his heart. If only I could walk, then everything in my life would be good. Let's fast forward to the 21st century, okay? If only I had a husband or a wife. Only if Mr. or Mrs. Wright would come into my life. See, then I would really be happy. I would be content. I would really be satisfied. If only I had that higher paying job and my bills and the money I make were not so even. You know, if I just made a little bit more, I had a bit of more, more margin in my life, see, then I'd be safe and I'd feel really secure. If I only could get into this university, you're saying, as you graduate high school and go into college, if I could get into this university and then I could get a degree from here, and then if I could get my master's, you, you know, my career would be set and I'd have everything, I, I could be successful. I, my life would be bearable. I would have some purpose and meaning to my life. And Jesus would say this, you're mistaken. Your biggest, biggest problem in your life is not what has happened to you or what has not happened to you. Your biggest problem in life is that how you have responded to what has happened to you and not happened to you. Cynthia Heimel is a freelance writer, and she has written a lot about famous celebrities. And she wrote a piece a number of years ago talking about how she knew famous people, actors and singers, before they became famous and after they became famous. And she says, let me tell you about many of them. And I quote, I pity celebrities. No, I do. Celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. You see, they wanted fame, they worked, they pushed, and the morning after each one of them have become famous, all the things they wanted, and now they're taking an overdose. 
Because that giant thing that they were striving for, the thing that they thought was going to make everything okay, what was going to make their lives bearable, what was going to provide for them personal fulfillment and happiness, it happened, and they were, listen to this, and they were still them. And they were still them. She says the disillusionment turned them into howling and insufferable people. You know why? Because they never have dealt with their biggest problem. They thought their biggest problem was they were nobodies or they weren't famous or they didn't have enough money and riches and all the things that went with them. See, they're playing the if-only game. But it only leads to disillusionment and emptiness. She writes one more sentence, and here's what she says, because she doesn't know the true God. She says, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then giggles merrily when you realize that now that you have it, you want to kill yourself. Can I tell you, Jesus didn't offer this man a practical joke on that day. You know why? Because the true God isn't like that. The true God is everything that we see in Jesus. And you know what he really wants to give you today? Not the things that will leave you empty and hungry and always wanting more. He wants to give you your, he wants to meet your greatest need. And you know what it is? Forgiveness. That's why he says it first. See, Jesus goes to the paralytic man and he says in verse 5, look at the text, your sins are forgiven you. Now, as we saw in the video, you can see it in the text, there are scribes there, religious authorities, people who know the Bible inside and out, and they're religious, right? Jesus saying that I forgive your sins, they immediately say blasphemy. Why? Because the text tells us in verse 7, who can forgive sins? Only God can do that. You see, God forgives sins from heaven. Jesus says, I'm a man and I can do it from earth. You know why? Because he's claiming to be God. See, what he's doing here, he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's saying anyone can forgive sins. Anyone. I could say this morning, your sins are forgiven you. And there's no way for sure of knowing that because you can't see it. He says anyone can forgive, but not just anyone can heal someone of decades of paralysis. I can't just say that and get away with it. You know, you want to see the evidence. And Jesus says this, I'm going to do the miracle that everyone can see so that you'll know I have authority to do the miracle that nobody can see. And so he says, your sins are forgiven. Now watch. When Jesus does it, he doesn't go, oh, your sins are forgiven and shake his arms like this. Have you ever seen the TV guys? He doesn't say, I call on the power of the name of God. No. He doesn't. You know what he does? He says it. You know why? He doesn't need an outside authority. He doesn't need to call on anyone else's power. He tells the winds and waves, quiet. And they're quiet. He touches the leper, and he's clean. You know why he doesn't need anyone else's authority? Because he has it all. See, he's not, hear me, he's not just a miracle worker. He's God. He's God. Do you know what that means? You know what he's saying 
to the paralytic when he tells you, I can forgive your sins. He's saying this, every one of your sins, every one of them, they are against me. See, your sins are all against me. See, I am your creator. I'm your redeemer. I'm the only one, hear me, the only one that can heal you outside and most of all inside. And you would say to that, Pastor Walker, you just don't know me. See, you don't understand the severity of my spiritual paralysis. If you know, if you knew what I was thinking sometimes, if you knew what goes through my mind, if you knew some of the things I've said and some of the things I've done, listen, there are things I've done. I don't tell anybody the things I've looked at on the internet. I don't tell any. I say, if you knew, right, if you knew that, I can tell you this, Jesus wouldn't say, I forgive you. But you'd be wrong about that too. Because in chapter 2 and verses 6 and 8, the Pharisees, when Jesus says, I can forgive sins, they know what the implications of it are. You know what the Bible says? Verses 6 and 8, twice, it says, they were questioning in their hearts. See it in verse 6 and verse 8? Questioning in their hearts. See, Jesus says immediately when they be able to question his authority and what he said about his authority and what it meant, when they were in their hearts, and the, and the word in the Greek is dialogue. See, they're going back, and this guy can't be God. This guy can't be true. And they're thinking that he can do this, but he says this. Now, how can a good guy like this blaspheme like that? And they're going back and forth in their heart thinking about who Jesus really is. And he, Jesus says, immediately, the verse says, he perceived in his spirit that they questioned within themselves. He knew what they were thinking because he's God. Can I tell you this morning? Listen, all your sins you've ever committed are against him, and he knows you. Just like he knew the paralytic guy, just like he knew the religious leaders, he has the ability because he's God, he looks into your heart, he looks into your mind, he knows what you think, he knows what really motivates you, he knows what you think will bring you happiness and satisfaction, he knows. He knows how many times that he has come to you and you've put and rejected him and pushed him away. He knows all of that. And he still wants to give you the greatest thing that you need. Knowing all about you, he still wants to say, my child, your sins are forgiven. Joni Erickson Tata, famous Christian, she's in her 70s now, but when she was 17 years old, July 30th, 1967, that's coming up on 55 years ago. In her book, Lost and Found, she tells about her accident when she was 17, diving off a pier and breaking her neck and being paralyzed from the shoulders down for the last 55 years. She too was a paralytic. And she said she was so angry, so angry. But then she wrote this, if I was to find myself I would need to realize my biggest problem was not my paralysis, by that she means on the outside, but my sin, the paralysis on the inside. And my biggest need was to be right with God. See, paralysis on the outside was God's tool for her to see that there's something bigger than that. As difficult and harsh and suffering, all that, there's something even more difficult, and that was her inner paralysis. See, 
she had to go deeper. The Bible says our deepest problem is that you and I, in our sin, here's what we do. We build our identity around something other than Jesus. Thinking that if we could only have it, if we could only do that in our life, then everything would be okay. And the problem is, with all of that, is that when we look to those things, we are looking for them to save us. See, if I had a spouse, that would save me. If I had a better job, if I was famous, if I had money, if I had this, if my health was better. And we had this long list of things that we think that if we could only get them, that they would save us. They would make us happy. But here's the thing. They weren't made to be saviors. And they never quite do it. They never quite make you fulfilled. So you have to have another drink. And another shot from the needle. And another relationship. And a better job. And a bigger house. And you're never really quite happy. Because until you put Jesus at the center of your life, to you recognize that he's the only savior that you need. Because your biggest problem is your sin. There's always going to be this nagging, gnawing emptiness. See, Johnny Erickson Todd came to the realization that I hope you will this morning. And that is this, that you and I need more than just a little help from God to get over the hump of our sin. It's an underestimation. You and I need more than just turning over a new leaf. I'm going to be more moral this year. We have to go a lot, hear me, a lot deeper. C.S. Lewis wrote a series of books for children that I read many years ago. I would love it if your child read them. If you haven't yourself, you should. They're good. Chronicles of Narnia. I think they made a movie out of one or two of them. One of the books in the series is called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in it, there's a 12-year-old boy, and his name is Eustace. Eustace hates everyone, and everyone hates Eustace. The book describes him as selfish, mean, and pretty awful for a 12-year-old. He gets on this boat called the Dawn Treader, and he takes this voyage. And along the voyage, the boat pulls into a, 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 an area on an island and a cove, and there's this cave, and he wanders into this cave by himself, and he finds untold treasure. I mean, he finds gold and diamonds and rubies and all kinds of valuable things, and now he says, now I've got it. See, I've got all of this, and I'm going to go back, and all those people that made fun of me and laughed at me and stepped on me, now I have this money and this power, I'm going to go back and laugh at their face and step on them. But what he didn't realize was it was a dragon's hoard. And if you know anything about that, when he fell asleep in the cave, because dragon's gold leads you to be greedy. And when he woke up, he came to the horrible realization that he himself had turned into a dragon. It, it really blew his mind. And he was big, and he was ugly, and he was horrible. And here's what he realized. There was no way out of it. He wasn't going to go back. There wasn't any chance of changing for him. He was going to be alone and by himself in this ugly dragon for the rest of his life. Till one day, Aslan, in the story, who's the lion, who represents Jesus, he shows up, and he walks into the cave, and he takes 
Eustace and leads him out as the dragon and takes him to this very, very large, clear pool of water. And he tells Eustace this, take off your dragon skin and get in. So here's what Eustace does, what anyone else would do. He tries to take his skin off. So he takes his mammoth claws out and starts ripping at himself and trying to peel it, and it hurts. It's agonizing. And he does it, and he can't get anywhere, and he works harder at it. He works harder and harder at it, and finally he peels off what he thinks is a layer of skin, only to be completely disillusioned that he's still a dragon underneath. And so he tries again, a second time and a third time, till he can't go anymore. And that's when Aslan says this to him, you're going to have to let me do it. So Aslan gets out his claws, and here's what Eustace writes, and I quote, or says, I was afraid of his claws. His first tear went so deep that I thought it went straight to my heart. It hurt worse than anything I had ever experienced in my life. But he kept clawing at it, and Eustace says, he peeled off my beastly skin and threw me into the pool. And when I hit the water, he says, it hurt just for a moment. And when I surfaced, he said, I had become a boy again. See, you and I need to realize you can't call off your skin. You can't undragon yourself. You cannot Unsin yourself. You've got to let Jesus tear it off. See, he's got to get out his claws. Can I say his cross? Because only the cross of Jesus can tear away the layers and layers and layers of the sin that we've built up in our lives. See, it's only when Jesus, through his cross, death, and resurrection, see, he can get deep enough. His claws can take the skin off. He has to put you in the pool. You know why? Because only Jesus can take care of your greatest problem. You can't work it off. You can't get it off. You can't claw it off. He has to do it. So you do have need of a miracle this morning. But it's not your paralysis externally. It's the one that's internal. The question is, will you let him claw it off? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around this morning, are you disillusioned? Are you? Are you still looking to find something or someone to fill the void, the emptiness, the vacuum inside? Pastor Walker, I've tried this, and I've tried this, and I'm after this, and can you, can you see it this morning? All those are, they're just saviors that can't change you. They can't. There's only one. Only one Savior that can truly change you deep enough to change you for eternity, and it's Jesus. That's why he came. He came for your spiritual paralysis. He came so that you could walk with him forever. Perhaps if you're here this morning and you've never come to that realization and you're still clawing at it yourself, you're still trying to peel it off. You're still trying to work your way to heaven. You're trying to be good enough on your own. Can I tell you, your works will never be enough. 
You'll still be a dragon underneath. But Jesus can save you. He can change you. That's why he came, that's why he died, and that's why he rose again. Only he has the authority and power to forgive your sins. It is your biggest need. Will you let him come? Will you come to him this morning for that reason? Will you come and say, Jesus, here's what I need. I need your forgiveness. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song, and then right after, we have a special video. I know it's taking a few extra minutes this morning about someone that you know that has received that wonderful forgiveness that they desperately needed, that their whole life, their whole life, they've been trying to get out from under that dragon skin, and they finally did. We're going to close with that today. Father, hear us. There are people here this morning, good people to some degree, religious perhaps. They're still clawing it. They think it's because they're a member of whatever church or denomination or because they were baptized as an infant or they come, they think, because they're Baptist or Catholic or Lutheran or Methodist or whatever, that that's going to do it. May they come to this understanding this morning, you're the only Savior. And only you have the authority because you're God through your cross, death, and resurrection to forgive sins, our greatest need. Please, Father, allow them to see that truth and respond to it in humility, in brokenness, repentance, and in faith. And we'll praise you for that in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.